And instead of going into a screw you, I'm going to go screw everything else and (laughs) just kind of plow my way through the bottle. Mm -hmm. I leaned into the brokenness that I felt as a result of the end of that marriage. And I'm pretty sure as a result of that, uh, a month ago, we just came back from renewing our vows in Mexico and are back together again. And it's better than it's ever been. You're listening to The Sill Podcast, perspectives on art and technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 96, The Undefinable Spirit. Drew Marshall, a red-letter agnostic theist. Welcome to the next edition of the Undefinable Spirit on the Soul Podcast. And we have a very undefinable spirit today. His name is Drew Marshall. Some of you may know him. And here's a little short intro. I mean, if I did the long intro, it could last the entire podcast. So we're going to do a short intro here. Adopted, grew up in a funeral home, ex-pastor, former football player, TV host on The Weekender, current host on the long-running The Drew Marshall Show, and much, much more. Drew Marshall is an inveterate seeker on a quest for the truth about God, life, death, and faith. He is a ball of questions aimed in both directions, challenging us to re-examine what we believe in and challenging himself to get to the heart of what it means to be a spiritual being. This quest has led him to Australia, the deserts of Israel, the El Camino Trail in Spain, and other adventures too numerous to mention in a short introduction. Suffice to say, Drew Marshall is a unique and charismatic soul, and we're very happy to have him on the show today with us. Welcome to the podcast, Drew. Wow, I gotta meet this guy. He sounds fascinating. (laughs) Yeah, me too, me too. (laughs) So listen, Drew, here's the first question for you. It's kind of a general one, it's a big one, but see what you can do with this in a relatively short time. Spiritually speaking... How would you describe yourself? Oh, a relatively short period of time. I actually dropped this on a uh, customs agent one time who was badgering me too much. And he finally asked me, well, what do you believe? And I thought, well, the nerve of this guy. So I'm going to hit him with it. So here here it is. I'm a red letter agnostic theist. A red letter agnostic theist. Yeah. Care to elaborate a titch on that? Mm. Sure. Here comes the titch. Red letters. Uh, you remember the uh, the Bibles in the motel rooms uh, on that drawer? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You crack them open. Gideon's used to place them in there. And whenever yeah. Jesus, you know, if if there is a Jesus, and this Jesus, if he said stuff, it apparently was written down, and they wrote it down in red. So That's those right. are the red letters. And the stuff that this Jesus apparently said is really, really good stuff. And mm-hmm. if I could somehow manage to live my life by that code— I'd be doing well. Now, mm-hmm. I, that, I'm not giving any more commentary to the rest of the Bible, but that red letter stuff, really mm-hmm. good. So red letter, agnostic, I don't friggin' know. I, I think that's where faith comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get really leery about certaintists on both sides of the fence. Mm-hmm. So I'm certain there is no God, and I'm certain there is a God. I used to be a certaintist. I was in uh, the evangelical tribe for 30-plus years. I was an ex-pastor, et cetera, et cetera. Or I was pastor, um, but I don't know. And then theist, man, dude, I look around at this place, and with my limited ignoramus 
key brain, it reeks to me anyway of design and purpose and more. Mm. That's it. Okay, but you don't call yourself a Christian in that little description there. You didn't use no, that word. Why? No, why not? I, no. Well, because I, <laughs> I learned from uh, Bruce Coburn many years ago when I assaulted him during a, uh, I think it was a breakfast in the Blue Mountains in Australia, and I said, "Are you or are you not a Christian?" First of all, what a dink for asking that question <laughs> of somebody, especially at breakfast. And Bruce said to me, "Well, tell me what you mean by Christian, and I'll tell you if I am one." Mm. Right. So it's a polluted word, and I hope that all the good stuff that is attributed with Jesus is real, and that this—I mean, what a what a beautiful love story, this sacrificial love story, man. You know, my pursuit of something more keeps leading me towards love, and because I keep heading towards love, somehow, inevitably, I keep circling back, irritatingly, towards Jesus. But I, I just am. I can't use that word. Okay. Mm. So you've taken a vow of silence on the El Camino. You've walked the streets as a blind man for a week during Lent. You've yeah. gone to Israel to experience something of how people lived in biblical times, wept at the Wailing Wall. What have you learned by doing these kinds of physically and uh, psychologically demanding exercises? Oh, that I'm more narcissistic than I even thought. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> well, the different experiences obviously taught me different things. So are there any common denominators in my learning mm -hmm. experiences? I, I think every time I do something that rattles me out of the numbness of our North American consumerism and, and just that get up and move forward kind of insanity, mm -hmm. every, every time I do something that snaps me out of that, I, I actually fall back in love with humanity. And just prior to doing these things, I want to set humanity on fire, including myself. Mm -hmm. So these things have been timely. It's like my soul builds up with some sort of toxicity, and then I implode in some way, and I end up doing something like not talking for three months or going blind for a week. Mm. You almost sound a bit like your interview with Martin Pistorius, a mm. uh, wonderful interview. You sound a bit like him in a way in terms of coming out of his uh, state and kind of waking up. It's almost like you're putting yourself in those situations in order to experience this kind of reawakening. Yeah, that's well put. And I think, like, everybody doesn't get to do this kind of stuff. You don't get to stop your, your shift work at the factory in Stelco and go, oh, I think I'll walk the Camino. Oh, I think I'll go blind for a week. Yeah. So, you know, these guys that are in women that are just doing it and putting food on the table and working their butts off, they're more heroic in my estimation than so many people that we deem heroes these days because I realize a lot of this stuff that I do is as a result of me being a desensitized, easily distracted, and easily bored human being. Right. So there is a wake-up um, factor to all of this. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about how you got here from there. Can you talk a little bit about your childhood, being raised in a funeral home with your dad being a funeral director, and how that background has shaped the way you approach the world and your faith, etc.? Okay, hold on a second. I got to pause here for a second. Whoever's yeah. listening to this podcast, you got to know these guys are really, really good. They're great communicators. See, these are some of the best questions I've ever been asked. I've been interviewed a million <laughs> times. Guys, well done. Well, We're not you know, I, like you may suck later, but right now you're awesome. Nice of you to say. We'll definitely suck later. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I think 
there must be a correlation between what I grew up in and my level of desensitization now, and maybe even my, it's not even just a desensitization, it's a very thick awareness of my humanity, mm. of mortality. You know, you can't be woken up as a 14, 15, 16 year old at three in the morning by your dad who tells you to put on your suit. Mm. And then you go in the funeral car to a homicide or suicide scene and pick up a body with no head on it or pull a guy out of who's been floating in the pool and his skin comes off in his arms as you're pulling them over the railing. Uh, you can't cut down a woman who hung herself with her own <sighs> bathrobe mm. tie uh, on a nail in a stud in her own basement. Like you just, you can't see those things. And I think back and I hesitate. I want to be very clear on something. Yeah, I was turning into a complete asshole as a kid and my parents were at their wits end, and I'm pretty sure my dad was just trying to give me some serious wake-up calls by getting me involved in this kind of mm -hmm. stuff at an early age. I was thinking that kind of experience in the funeral home can either scar you for life or free you for life in a way. Mm -hmm. you know, it could go either way, right? It really could, and it was going one way badly, and thankfully it started going the other way. I don't know whether it's because you know I was adopted and my, my birth father is like this – uh, you know what? <laughs> Every time I start thinking about uh, talking about this stuff, I think, "Ooh, geez, what if my birth father hears this someday? But <laughs> let's just say if I was raised in the family that I was born into instead of adopted into, my life would have turned out very, very differently. And I'm very thankful for, mm -hmm. for my parents, Grant and Leon Marshall, awesome human beings. Your faith in the Christian God as you know it. How has it changed the way you deal with your children, spouse, and other close family members, if at all? Well, we're all products of the environment that we've lived in, whether we like it or not. And I grew up going to the United Church, but from a very early age, and I don't know, I can't say whether it was because I grew up going to church as a kid or whether it was from... Uh, Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments mm. and Ben-Hur and all those great <laughs> programs. But every time I watch that stuff, you know, on television, I, as a kid, I remember weeping, uh, you know, any of the Jesus stuff or the crucifix, just weeping. And, and so something inside of me has always screamed out for more, that there has to be more. Mm. And that has led me in the pursuit of this more, this other. And that has also then subsequently led me into pursuit of well, things like the gift of the Holy Spirit, which are things like self-control and love and humility. And these are all antithetical to what we see and hear about in today's success-based culture. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, my wife and I separated for two years after a 28-year marriage. Mm. And instead of going into a screw you, I'm going to go screw everything else and <laughs> just kind of plow my way through the bottle, mm -hmm. I leaned into the brokenness that I felt as a result of the end of that marriage. And I'm pretty sure as a result of that, uh, a month ago, we just came back from renewing our vows in Mexico and are back together again. And it's better than it's ever been. Tap into the softer side, not the angry side. Yeah. And so I think that's the impact that all this God stuff has had in my life yep. because I've you know, I, the only time I can ever remember Jesus getting pissed off was at religious people. And I love getting pissed off at religious people. <laughs> That's perfect. That brings me to the next question, Drew. Given this God and what you've learned 
from your relationship with him, her, it, whatever. I mean, it looks like you've done a lot of pushing back. You know, you ask tough questions of this God. And I wonder what made you start to work with the idea that doubt and what we do with it can be a useful tool in discovering our spiritual path. Oh, geez, you guys, seriously, that is a phenomenal question. What led me to realize that doubt is actually more compatible with faith than certainty Mm -hmm. was spending 30 years in the tribe of certainty, not being certain. Right. And I just felt like I was smashing my head against the wall because here are all these Jesus people with all these certainty stories. And I'm sitting there looking in the mirror and going, dude, what is wrong with you? You don't have any of these God showed up this way. God did this. God, you know, miraculous, whatever. I felt the presence of God. I I felt nothing. There were moments where I did. I probably did think I felt something. I look back on it and go, no, that was tribal conditioning. It really was. Mm -hmm. Um, So Mm -hmm. banging my head against the wall forced me to examine the role doubt has in someone's faith. And that's what I came to the conclusion of. It's a quote from a guy named Daniel Taylor's book, uh, Skeptical Believer, I think is what it was called. And doubt is more compatible with faith than certainty. Right. And staying with the lines of spiritual paths, you've gotten a lot of flack from the Christian community for your particular (laughs) approach to understanding the Godhead, have you not? Well, I think I have the record of being the only person to ever get kicked off 100 Huntley Street. (laughs) (laughs) Literally? (laughs) Yeah. Well, it wasn't uh, during the show, but after they invited me on, I got a phone call as I was driving away. Of course, it's a live broadcast across Canada, and they couldn't do anything about it, but normally they'll repeat it later that day. And they phoned me and said, well, we just had an enormous reaction across Canada, the biggest one we've ever had. And they gave me some percentage breakdown about how many people loved it and how many people just hated it and were up in arms. Well, you know, Drew, uh, I saw the interview, uh, and it might just have something to do with the idea of shoving something up where the sun don't shine that you you mentioned during the interview. (laughs) And your interviewers were like aghast, as I could see. Pulling hand grenades. Pulling hand grenades up your butt and pulling the pin is what I like. That's right. That's the line. Can I suggest that you kind of revel a little bit in being the kind of the bad boy? No, no. Actually, here's the thing. Well, okay, maybe there's a little bit of that. But it's only within the tribe that I stand out. If I was to do my radio show, yeah. Mm. On a normal station with normal listeners, I would not piss off near as many people. That's the only true. reason the only reason I piss off people, and those people don't listen to my show anymore after 16 years, but the only reason I had that reaction, that adverse reaction amongst the tribe was because what I was saying, what, I mean, it was the emperor has no clothes, right? Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I'm doing. And I just want people to think through the stuff that I know as part of the tribe, heck, I was a leader in, in the tribe, mm-hmm. that we just sweep under the carpet. And I'm not a carpet sweeper. Box, box. So, what's your story? Our lesson this evening is taken from the Gospel according to St. John. Chapter 2, beginning at the first verse. <laughs> and on the third day... There was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. And it came to pass that all the wine was drunk. (laughs) And the mother of Jesus said unto the Lord, They have no more wine. (laughs) And Jesus said unto the servants, Fill six water pots with water, 
And they did so. And when the steward of the feast did taste of the water from the pots, it had become wine. And he knew not whence it had come. But the servants did know. And they applauded loudly in the kitchen. And they said unto the Lord, how the hell did you do that? <laughs> and inquired of him, do you do children's parties? <laughs> and the Lord said, no. Fox, Fox. You've hosted a few thousand interviews on your radio show over the last 16 years, and you've decided... To end the show in about nine weeks, I think the final episode is airing on June 29th. Yeah. Why? What prompted your decision to stop and what or where to next? Well, when my wife and I were renewing our vows in Mexico, it's been our lovely week down there and our new honeymoon, you know, the conversation came up, what next and et cetera, et cetera. And um, we just said, you know what, if there was ever a time to finish the show, this is the time to do it. And I think it actually has to do with a couple of main things. Number one, I need to spend more time uh, focusing on her world instead of mine. Mm. Number two, I feel, you know, when you're laying in bed at night and you can't sleep because you have too many thoughts whipping through your head. So you got to turn on the light, sit up, write stuff down, and then you can sleep. That's mm. after 16 years of interviewing the people that I've interviewed, my mind is full. My hard drive is full and I have to write stuff down. So I'm gonna continue writing during this break. And then the other thing is, I know myself enough to know that I will grow in between the trapeze bars. In other words, right. letting go of one only to see the other one and grab onto the other one really quickly. Mm -hmm. Those aren't the moments I grow. I grow when I have to let go of the trapeze bar and go, holy crap, holy crap, holy crap, holy crap, where is it? Boom. That's when I grow. <laughs> yeah. Now, among all those interviews you did with those celebrities, et cetera, was there one interview that stood out or one statement that you've always remembered from one of those folks? <laughs> Man, holy cow, how do I narrow that down? Well, I remember asking Larry King if he was afraid of death. Yeah. Hmm. And he said, you bet your ass I am. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we had a great, we had a great conversation about, you know, he and Billy Graham were very good friends he admired Billy Graham, but he could never make that leap into faith. And mm -hmm. uh, so Larry King used to be a Jew who's an agnostic and he's married to a Mormon. You know, he's the mm. perfect guy for my show. <laughs> <laughs> what is your relationship to death and dying? How do you view it? Yeah. Well, I'm good to go, first of all. I'm not saying I want to die, but I'm totally ready for death, mm -hmm. uh, number one. Number two, as a hospital chaplain at the local hospital, because of my manner and because of my outlook and because of my experience with death, having been at the bedside of many who have died, yeah. having buried many or officiated funerals or embalmed bodies, mm -hmm. I think I have a pretty clear perspective on the thing. And my clarity helps me ask the right questions at the right time. Not This is sounding a little too toot here. I'm sorry. I'm, I think I'm sounding no, like... Okay. Well, Continue, please. I'm an awesome hospital chaplain, but instead of like the old biddies that came in and nothing wrong with old biddies, thank God for old biddies, because <laughs> if the old biddies didn't visit, no one would visit. So, but instead of the old, you know, that kind of hospital chaplain, I go in there and I will ask 
pretty direct and, and sometimes lighthearted and sometimes heavy questions. And I think I just know enough. Like there's two things I've discovered about this death stuff. Number one, C.S. Lewis used to talk about how the Celts would always talk about thin places, mm-hmm. how the gap between the creator and the created gets really, really thin and certain landmarks around the world. Like they would say Stonehenge is a thin place. Well, I laid on the grass in Stonehenge and I just fell asleep. I didn't feel a thing. But when you're in a hospital room with a family and a loved one who is doing the death breath, there is no thinner place. Yeah, Yeah, I've been there. Exactly. You know. So that's number one. It is the thinnest place that I can think of. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the second thing when it comes to death is it frees people up when somebody finally asks the real questions. Instead of hand-wringing and, and, and I'll pray for you and here's a doily and here's some flowers and here's a stuffed animal. When I go in and I say, so, you could be dead in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. How's that feel? Mm. Like I'm not a family member, so they get to say what they want to say. They get exactly. to talk about this stuff. Exactly. Anyway. So listen, if we had to reverse this for a second, and you were interviewing Drew Marshall, what would be the question you'd ask him to draw out the essential spirit of the man? Hmm. What the hell is wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) Nothing wrong with me. I'm just asking you a question. Uh, (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 Um, Oh, buddy. Jeez, you guys are better at this than I am. Holy cow. (laughs) I would ask... Hold on. Then I have to answer it, though. Do I have to answer it? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Okay, Whatever's I comfortable I, for you. I'm not sure I know how to answer this, but I, if I were you interviewing me and I was interviewing me, I would say, why don't you just stop believing? Isn't it? Wouldn't it be easier on you to just stop hoping that there's a God, hmm. to just stop? See, I'm not even sure I can call myself a believer because belief to me just means hope. It's hard for me to believe in invisible stuff, so I've transferred my definition of belief into the realm of hope. hope You're an optimist is what you are. Yeah, I guess so. You're talking about faith, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would ask me, why don't you stop? Just stop. Come on. Okay. That would be one thing I would ask. And then um, Mm -hmm. I would see. I like doing this with other people. I try to get people to share their darkest times. Mm -hmm. And there's not a chance in hell I will ever share with you my darkest time. (laughs) I think that's why we didn't ask the question today. I think we know you a bit by now. (laughs) One last question. One last question, Drew. Uh, Again, if you were running this program and you had to choose a piece of music that would be Drew Marshall's kind of entrance music into the podcast. Your song. What would you choose? Oh, that's a good one, man. Okay, Bruce Coburn, Soul of a Man. Soul of a Man. Okay, it shall be so. It shall be so. <laughs> Number one. I just sent him an email to Bruce uh, asking him to uh, to come back on the show before we finish. I think he's been on three times and uh, always love my conversations with him. And his music, you know, music has penetrated my soul more than religion has, which is why the first hour of every show is dedicated to a live in-studio performance. Mm-hmm. And that is a great song by a great man. It's a cover of an old blues song, but uh, anyway. Right. Is yeah. there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with? Any information about you, where to contact you, or anything that's going on right now that you'd like people to look at? Oh, God, no. No, I don't want anyone contacting me. <laughs> I, no, because, no, and I mean that, I mean, half yeah. funny and half serious, because I'm entering into an unplugged season. I'm getting rid of my smartphone. I'm not going to have a radio show. I'm getting off all the social media. Yep. 
I'm going to be setting up a little desk in the barn with my laptop and in a hammock maybe, and I'm going to write. I'm just going to start purging my soul, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Silence is golden. It really is. I learned a lot shutting up, not speaking for three months. Mm. But yeah, in the meantime, drewmarshall.ca, that is the website. Uh, you can watch the marriage counseling sessions between my wife and I as we end the Drew Marshall show. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I watched the first one. It was interesting. <laughs> That's a good word. Yeah, it was interesting. Really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. listen, thanks so much for electing to come on here and speak to us today. We really appreciate it and uh, really appreciate hearing your thoughts on these things. And we both wish you the best, whatever thanks. whatever road you take. Thank you. Thank you. And I, you know, listen, I know this sounds like a typical suck up thing to say during an interview, but you guys know I've already said this to you privately, but I just want your listeners to know that I have been on a lot of talk shows. I've been interviewed a ton and I have interviewed a ton. And I said to you guys, so this isn't a suck up thing. This is legit. You guys have got what it takes. This is inquisitive listening. So I'm very proud of both of you. Thank you. Thank, I'm proud thank, of you, but that thank. sounds condescending. I, I love what you guys do. Thank, thank you, Drew. Your check is in the mail. Right. All right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> thank you very much. It's really appreciated. <laughs> all right. Yeah. All the best to you, Drew. Thanks, guys. Yeah, Bye-bye. Right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. The Sill Podcast, Perspectives on Art and Technology, is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. When Christ taught in the temple, the people all stood amazed. He was teaching the lawyers and the doctors how to raise a man.